you are listening to Happen Business Podcast, episode 030. Perfect. That was my five-year-old son. On this show, we talked to Ted Rubin about building relationships, fatherhood, and defaulting your life to happy. I'd stop worrying so much about being a success, and I think more about what makes me happy. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. I am really glad you're here. If this is your very first time, welcome. It's so great to have you here, spending a little bit of time with us. Um, I wanted to take a moment to say uh, a little confession. Um, Last week, I said that I was working on my coaching page for my website. I'd probably have it up this week. Well, I ran into some technical issues, and it's slowing me down. I've got some other issues uh, behind the scenes um, on how to like work some stuff, and it's not going all that great for me. So it's taking me a little bit longer because I do all this stuff myself. I don't really have um, I don't have a website guy or anything like that. Um, I do this all myself, so I'm a bit of a hack. And so I'm going to use this in transparency and full disclosure that never make promises you can't deliver. It's better to under promise and over deliver. So um, yeah, so my confession is that it's going to be um, a little bit more time before I have that page ready. Um, However, for some good news, um, I have um, a post that was uh, put in the reviews of iTunes that was very encouraging to me. I'm going to read it to you here. It is from uh, Chaplain Corey, and he said about this uh, show, he said, this is refreshing and encouraging. He said, I found this show through another podcast, and boy, am I glad I did. His tone and content are both refreshing and encouraging. Here is a show with a host who is humble, self-aware, and genuinely interested in adding value to his listeners. I highly recommend it. Angus, I really appreciate your work. I'm a relatively young army chaplain who is somewhat new to the leadership personal development scene, but I find great value in your work. They say that relationships are the currency of ministry, and your wise counsel in the area of networking will prove to be fruitful for years to come. Thank you, Chaplain Corey. Um, I share that with you because, you know, on this side of the microphone, I'm doing all of this work, and I don't get paid for this. This is all, you know, me just kind of doing what I do. And to hear someone like a chaplain from the U.S. Army um, and that it's impacting someone's life like that, that is really, really encouraging to me. And Corey, thank you for your service. Thank you um, for reaching out. And I do hope that this helps you be more effective and make a difference with the young soldiers that you work with. For you who are listening, it's true. Uh, My goal is to add value to you. And so I'm trying to do that more and more. And over the next uh, several episodes, I'm going to be taking a more intentional position on doing just that. 
and it's uh, going to be a little bit different, and um, I'm going to let that kind of unfold before you rather than making those promises like the foolish thing I did just moments ago uh, talking about my um, coaching site. Um, but this is true. This is where we're headed. Uh, we are going to get up in your business and help you to be your most effective self. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, before we get into today's interview, I want to invite you as well. If you are receiving you know, encouragement from this uh, particular show, I would love if you went over to iTunes and popped in your own review and shared some of your own words. Uh, not only is it encouraging to me, but it also encourages others that discover the show to find out something that they may not have expected. Um, that this isn't just another like business show. This isn't another one where I interview these influencers just to talk about the same things they're talking about on every other show. My goal is to get up into the emotional and psychological elements of all of this thing called life and help us one another to find out and discover that A, we're not alone. And B, you don't have to stay that way. And uh, we can do intentional things to change our lives. So today, we're talking to someone who is a social marketing strategist. He's a keynote speaker, a brand evangelist, and currently the CMO of Brand Innovators. He's the author of the books, Return on Relationship and How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. Today, we're talking to Ted Rubin, and we're going to talk about some things that you definitely have not heard him talk about before. Uh, so hold on to your uh, seatbelts there. Uh, it's going to be a ride. Hi, welcome to the Up in Business podcast. Ted, so great to have you here. What SPF sunscreen were you wearing at the beach today? Uh, you know, it all depends on where I'm at, but mostly it's about a 40, mm-hmm. you know, that I use on my body. But I've got this special cream that I researched. It's all organic. It's all naturals. It's got tom- a tomato base. And it's only a 30 SPF. But they say it's much better for you than any other stuff out there. So, But I, I like being outside. Mm-hmm. And I do like getting the sun. I like getting some color. But I've learned to be a little bit more careful as far as majority, as far as my head goes. I'm a little less careful with the rest of me, but I always have sunscreen on. I'm fortunate. Um, I'm, my skin takes to a tan very well. I don't have that, like, you know, chalky white skin that gets mm-hmm. burnt easily. So I've been, I've been kind of fortunate in that front. But, but you know, like everyone warns you, you got to be careful. Which takes us into kind of your background. Actually, you worked with, uh, um, what was it, iLip and uh, Face? Wasn't that where you were at com. It was where I really got involved and jumped in with both the social base. That was 2008. com. Elf Cosmetics, yeah. Yeah. And your mic seems to be cutting on, I don't know if it's catching your clothes or something in your hand or something as you're talking. Let's hope we're better now. Ah, perfect. Um, so... With that marketing background, what I've noticed about you is you didn't like rest on your laurels. You didn't just say, hey, I've, you know, accomplished X, Y, and Z. You've been really leaning forward into even the newer technologies with Blab. You've been playing with Snapchat. You've been playing with all of these new brands. How have you seen all of this progress and where do you see it going from here? Well, first, I want to clarify something. And I think this has to do with a lot of our lives. You know, pressing forward, always doing something new as far as new businesses isn't necessarily just because I love it, which it does keep me active and it is something I'm interested in, but it's also out of necessity. I mean, most of us are not where we'd like to be in life at some point later in our life, whether it's because of battles we have to fight, divorces we've had, fighting to keep our kids in our life, or just pursuing businesses that can be very successful at some times and less successful at others. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, that perspective, a lot of it comes from this is life, you know, and as you know, I've talked about this, there's no let up. 
It's like one of my no let up braces. That's something I really believe in. But as far as pushing in the new technologies, there you go. And you're wearing one now. I love it. You asked me to send it to you. I I got it. it And you wear it, which, you know, I got to tell you, I have people that say, oh, man, I really need one of those. And then I'm with them. I'm like, where's the bracelet? Like, what did you need it for? To hang it on your wall? Right. Um, Or at least wear it when I'm around. So I know that it meant something to (laughs) that. That's about return on relationship, about looking people in the eye digitally, about letting people know you care. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and how do you let people know you care? You know who they are. You, you, you research them. You know something about what they do. You look at their background. I mean, you know, even though you and I have known each other now for, I guess it's about half a year yeah. um, and maybe longer via social. Before I got on this call, I went to your LinkedIn page. I went to your Twitter page. I went to your wife's Twitter page, for God's sake. Nice. You know, I know yeah. you guys are hockey fans. I, you know, I, I, I know that you're, you know, how, how important being a dad is to you. And, you know, these are important things to do. So. For me, these technologies became something that how could you miss them? Because mm-hmm. imagine, I mean, you're not as old as I am. I know that, but you're not a kid, which means you were around before not only these technologies, but before cell phones and all the other things that kept us so totally connected. And I like to tell a story of when I first got out of college, I got my first job. It was a sales job. My dad had always been in sales and he called me up one day and he said, so when's your first appointment? And I said, it's Friday. He said, what time? I said, 10 o'clock. He goes, what time are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, five to 10. He goes, no, you're going to get there at nine. You're going to walk around the neighborhood. You're going to see what restaurants, what businesses are there. You're going to go in the building. You're going to see where, what other people are in the building and businesses. You're going to go to the office. And if you're lucky, you'll get his secretary or assistant to let you into his or her office beforehand. Mm. So you can look at the pictures on the walls. Is he a golfer? Is he a fisherman? Is he a father or grandfather? And you can find points of emotional connection and that's how you're going to start building relationships and those relationships are going to lead to sales or whatever else it is you're looking for because back then you didn't have these tools now we have the good fortune to be able to have i mean look at snapchat you can go into snapchat and see what somebody did all day long i mean not everyone not everyone's sharing the same things but those that are there are giving you incredible insight to really know who they are as people. And, I, you know, this is, for you and I, this should be easy. For individuals, for sales guys, they don't have to convince anybody else. They don't have to sell a board. They don't have to convince anybody. But think about how hard it is for companies when they talk about, we don't, we need to know our customers. Well, why aren't you going and looking? Stop worrying so much about bringing them to your page and go to their pages. Mm-hmm. They're all inviting you into their living rooms and you're not going because you're more worried about bringing them to you. Yeah, and I think that that stands across the board, whether you're looking at nonprofits, you're looking at businesses, you're looking at all relationships. We always want to build something and we think it's like, you know, the baseball diamond, build it and and they'll come type thing. And yet we're never really as intentional about other people, their interests, their loves and their passions. And and part of it is because there's still a good percentage of the population that grew up in times where these things weren't so easy. So it isn't second nature to them. I, mean, I won't even respond to an email without looking to see if I've met that person before, checking my database, then going to LinkedIn or Twitter and knowing a little bit about who that person is. Hmm. I mean, of course, then fortunately I get to know them and, and it builds up or someone I met in person. But it's so easy now. And it's one of the reasons I, I first jumped into these tools because for me, Twitter was like a godsend. It was the first, you know, I was on Facebook before that, but if Twitter was the first place I went where I really dug in and engaged. You know, like you hear Brian fans are now saying how, you know, after speaking to Gary Vee, he's all in on, on, on Snapchat. And I'm not making fun. I'm saying this is a really cool thing. But I was all in on Twitter at that mm-hmm. point because here all of a sudden I found this tool where I could not only communicate, but I could publish 
in 140 characters. I've always been a frustrated writer because it doesn't come naturally to me. I'm more of a talker. And all of a sudden now I could write one sentence and people will go, oh my God, that's brilliant. Or they connect with you or you could network and build relationships and build communities 24 yeah. seven. So for me, this was a natural extension of who I am. And it's one of the things I have to recognize when I'm trying to teach other people how to do it yeah. because they don't necessarily have the talents or the natural um, inclination to do these things as I do. So sometimes you have to open your eyes to their perspective and make sure you're seeing it from their eyes. But then I want to get across to them, how can you not be doing this? Right. There's so much opportunity here to really get to know people. And if that's your goal, if it's not, man, if you want to stay anonymous, stay off the social platforms, yeah. you know, okay? But if your goal is you want to be, you're a people person, and you want to engage with people, and you want to know them. So, you know, for me, it wasn't just about business. It wasn't just about staying current. It was about, wow, what an amazing opportunity. I have a mentor who's in his 70s. He's the former CMO of, of Winn-Dixie and a, a high-level marketing person at a number of other supermarket chains before he retired. And what I used to love to bring him to meetings because you'd meet with some older, you know, more seasoned executive, and they go, well, what's this social stuff for such nonsense? And he'd look at them, and half these guys he trained, by the way. He brought into the business. He'd go, oh, my God, if I had these tools when I was a CMO, I, uh, the things I could have done. Mm -hmm. How could you not be on here? How could you not at the very least be understanding it? So for me, it's more about opportunity than it's about staying current or being a guy that knows things. Yeah, and the power of storytelling. I know that that's such a huge critical component to marketing. And the best way to tell stories is to connect with emotion. And like you said, looking for those emotional points of interest, of likes, of desires, like that's a place of connection. But more than just the marketing aspect, I want to kind of go into another element is 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 the emotional of human to human aspects you know in our relationships um we all have opportunity to sow in good seeds sow in bad seeds as you stated before sometimes life is fantastic and then sometimes not so much i just did a a live video on that where i talked about even in my own life and some of my story and i know for your story you've also gone through some trials. And I wanted to know, you know, if you're comfortable in sharing a little bit about it, you went through a season of divorce. And I'd love to know or hear if, you, if you're open to sharing how you grew from that and the lessons that you learned. Well, for me, it's become the challenge of my life. It's not just a challenge I went through. It's a challenge I'm currently going through. And I'm fairly certain I'll be going through it for the rest of my life because it really wasn't the challenge of divorce. It was the challenge of post-divorce and having a relationship with my daughters. Um, and um, unfortunately, a lot of us experience a lot of angst, a lot of fighting, a lot of putting the kids in the middle. And for me, that's the biggest issue in divorce today is that, you know, not only are kids made pawns, uh, but, you know, when you use the word porn, you think of a game and a game ends. But when they get put in the middle, very often they get put there for life. And, you know, some of us have bad divorces. Some of us have angry people. I unfortunately fell into the other category of I had somebody who is ill. I mean, borderline personality disorder, psychotic, um, but represents herself very well, uh, operates fine in society. And the divorce courts can be very, very difficult. And my divorce was not the problem. It was post-divorce a few years later. She always made it difficult from day one, always. Mm. Always bad me in the front of the kids, always made it difficult for me to pick them up. But it really cranked up after she got remarried. And not only did she have a father's money behind her, she had her, her new husband's. And 
you don't, might not have an understanding of borderline personalities, but everybody in their life becomes responsible for their happiness. So all right. of a sudden now she had another person who needed to support her in order to be responsible for happiness, in order to keep himself happy. Because mm -hmm. the, the best book on this topic is called Stop Walking on Eggshells. You know, if you live with someone with borderline personality disorder, yeah. because you never know, it's it mimics manic depression um, and bipolar disorder. But the problem is, so it mimics it where there's the highs and then they fall off the cliff. Mm -hmm. But it also they never hit bottom, so they never seek the cure. Yeah. So to get past that, I have to fight to keep my daughters in my life. My daughters were alienated. There's a big problem in this country with child alienation. Um, it happens mostly with women. Um, I would say that's not necessarily because of women. It's because the majority of women get what's called custodial rights to their kids. So even though I had full joint legal custody, I went with the advice of psychologists who I totally disagree with now um, and the courts that your kids are better off having a primary home. So, you know, as a dad, you're best off taking them every other weekend and every Wednesday night for dinner and all will be well. Unfortunately, once you give up those custodial rights, and most dads don't know this, they think they have full joint legal custody, they're fine. Custodial custody means day-to-day -day decision making. Hmm. And many women take that to mean they can change schools, they can change districts, they can move, they can stop you from seeing their kid because they deem on a day-to-day -day basis that it's better for them. And unfortunately, that happened to me, and I had to fight to get my daughters back. Hmm. Um, it was a four-year-long battle. It bankrupted me, put me in debt. It cost me seven figures. By the time it was over in 2010, I was $300,000 in debt. And thank God I had very, very good friends who lent me most of that money. Mm. Um, some of it came from higher interest rate uh, facilitators. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, a lot of it came from my friends. But what's happened, again, to the cut to the chase, even after I won this battle, and this is all documented, my ex is the first woman in the United States to be held in contempt of court and convicted of child alienation. I stuck it out. I stuck it out for me. I stuck it out for the rest of us that have these battles. It, it cost me everything. Every professional in the court told me I should give up, come back when they're, when they're, when they're grown up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't pay. And it's just not where I come from. I, I come from a place where you never give up. Your kids are yeah. everything. You never, no matter what happens. I don't care if they hate you. I don't care if you've done nothing. If you live in a perfect home, mm -hmm. you never give up on your kids. I'm always there for them. And even after it ended, it's become a battle since then. Because even though my ex went through this, she still, it's part of who she is. It's not like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm stopped. I'll, I'll stop doing it. And my daughters are now 19 and 21, and they're still afraid to talk to me if their mom finds out or what mm -hmm. they do with me or where they go with me or how they position it. So I've learned to position it for them. Mm -hmm. I let them know they have to see me right now. They're in college. I won't pay for college if I don't get very minimal. By the way, we're talking minimal. My younger daughter, who's a lot tougher and is handled a little lot better, yeah. she has to see me once a month for a meal while she's at college. And my older daughter has to see me twice a semester. And even with that, they wanted positioned. Oh, dad had to be in Philadelphia. So I had dinner with him or dad insisted that I have dinner with him. And I give them these tools and they don't come out and tell me this. This is stuff I have to figure out because they won't be that open and that upfront. So it's very challenging. They, they, in their minds, their mom is all encompassing. They still believe she sees their texts. She, they, they're afraid she might see their emails I mean, even though they're emailing on school email now, you know, and, and even though they're texting their own phones, and even though I've assured them she doesn't have access to that, there's a fear factor. And, and what I've learned, my, fortunately, my sister-in-law, um, who I've known from well before I met my, my ex and had my kids, is a child psychiatrist, Harvard-educated, so on top of being a great psych, a child psychiatrist, 
she knows my family situation. And she has said to me, you got to realize, like a lot of people say, hey, they're 19 and 21. It's time to give them the story and tell them like, tell it like it is. And she says, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. They're more like 10 and 12 because of what they've been through. They're suffering from Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. And and not only that, their mom is important to them, which she should be, regardless of the bad. It's their mother. And they're afraid of losing that relationship because she holds it over their head all the time. If you don't do this, you'll lose me. If they both have cars that were bought for them by by their mom's father, their grandfather. I've never been in those cars. I'm not allowed in those cars. Uh-huh. My daughter, who's 19, has had that car for over two years. She is always in a rush. You know, she's a typical teenager. She's got friends. Dad, I'm coming for dinner, but we got to go right to dinner because I got to get to see my friends. And she pulls up and I go, great, I'll come out. I'll get in your car. No, 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 I'll park the car. We'll go in your car these are things I've had to learn to embrace. I had a conversation on Snapchat today with someone who said, listen, I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You're going to, I'm going to visit my daughter on April 6th for dinner. He goes, this time, don't have dinner with her and a friend. You got to have dinner with just her. And, you know, you have to invite her to Florida, have her come and spend some time with you down there. And, you know, I, very often I say, yeah, thanks for the advice. But very often like this guy, they dig a little deeper. And I said, listen, I really can't do that. Mm-hmm. because my daughters are in a, in a position they can't come to Florida because their mom's going to want to know where they are and who they're staying with. Yeah. And they're not allowed to come and stay with me. And they're not out of her world yet enough to be comfortable with that. There's going to come a time, mm-hmm. I, I hope. And I like to tell people, and I know you preach this all the time, there's always hope. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Things can always change. It may never change, but I can, I will, if, I, and if I disappear... Or if I stop reaching out, if I stop making myself available, if I stop being present, then there won't be hope. Then I'm just hoping on a wing and a prayer. They'll just show up out of nowhere. So my goal is to make it as workable and easy for them, respect that fear or that deep-seated problem they have with seeing me because of their mother. Respect Mm -hmm. it. Don't get angry. I never get angry. I won't allow that to happen. My older daughter has tried time and again to get me to scream at her because then she can say, now this is why I won't be with you. So when she tells me I'm not her real father, her stepfather is, and 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 mom was right, I did touch her inappropriately when she was a kid, even though she knows I didn't, and even though not only was it proved that I didn't, but she protected me and said it didn't. But now five years later, or six years, seven years later, after being beat into her head, but I can see behind the eyes. Mm -hmm. When she says those things to me, I look at her and say, I still love you. Yeah. And I say, I'll always be there. How did, how did you get to that, Ted? Like, how did you work and process through the anger or bitterness or those emotional feelings? You know what? I, I don't think I can give someone a plan for this. It's an awakening. Hmm. So for me, the way I worked through it is when this whole thing ended, um, and I think it was around 2010. I mean, I know it was 2010 when I won the case. I think it was after this that I started this thing. I came up with this idea that I was going to start a, actually, wait a second. I started doing that. No, this was when this was going on. So this was about 2008. So Facebook was really just beginning, maybe mm-hmm. 2007. And I bought a website, which I still own, called Rant About Your Ex. And I was going to start a social network for men and women to rant about who they were angry at. Because I was angry. Right. I, I spent, I, I, I didn't work for almost six months just trying to find the right lawyer for this and then barely worked after that when the case began and I was angry and I went out and bought the site and I, listen, I have great friends. Surround yourself with great people. And by the way, the only way to do that is to be great to them first. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's the way it is. You have to be a friend to make a friend. And, and the, the Emerson said that. 
So it's not my words, but I've learned from it. And I have, I mean, I'm really lucky. My daughters used to say to me, because their mom's a borderline and they go through friends and people don't live up to expectations and then they dump them. My daughters would say, daddy, you know, you have so many friends. And I'd say, girls, I want you to understand something. It's not because I'm this nice guy. Yeah. It's because I work hard at it. And I, and I create friendships. And beyond friendships, I've learned I'm not really a networker. I'm a community builder because all my friends know each other and I bring people together. So this group of guys I reached out to, high-level guys, one, a top-level finance CI, CTO, and another one, one of my marketing mentors, I got them to all agree they were going to be on my board and they were going to be part of this company and help me start it. And what I found out later was behind my back, they all knew they were never going to start this company that they were just going to let me work through this process mm-hmm. of coming to my own realization. It's like, you know, you hear this all the time. If someone's an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can't put them in rehab. Mm-hmm. They have to decide to go to rehab. So here I was with no interest in going to rehab. <laughs> I'm going to get freaking even, and I'm going to get right. a platform for everybody to do it. And it was cool. I bought every different rent about your ex, EX rent about your ex, the letter X. We had meetings in New York City in a boardroom. We built storyboards. The, the guys, I had one of the guys put together a logo for us. Yeah. And finally, I woke up one morning, and I just said, like, oh, my God, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I was waking up every morning with a knot in my stomach, and I just said, I don't want to be angry anymore. And look, I know for some people it's not that easy, and some people, like I have deep-rooted issues also that take more digging to get to, but this was just a wake-up call. I just woke up, and, and I called up all these guys. I go, dudes, I'm really sorry. Yeah. You know, I know we, I even had, by the way, I even had documents to raise money that these guys helped me put together. One of them was a lawyer. He wrote up the documents <laughs> and I'm apologizing to them. And they started laughing and they, they said, we have to get the first, they said, very soon, let's get together and talk about it. We get together and it was like a surprise party. They're like, surprise, <laughs> we wouldn't do it anyway. These are real friends. No, these, these guys were, were hardcore, real friends. Hard. And these were not like one of them was one of my oldest friends that I knew since I was 11. Another one was, you know, a guy, I mean, guys from all walks of life that I had met along the way who all knew each other because that's what I do, my friends. And they got together. And I said, and I really just made an attitude adjustment. There's a book by a woman named Carol Dweck, D W E C K, mm-hmm. that I read when I was first getting divorced about my daughters because it's called Mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's about, more, it's about everybody, but a lot of it is about how not to position your children to have a particular mindset. And it's why I talk a lot about, uh, you know, I, talk, I definitely agree with Gary Vaynerchuk about, you know, self-awareness for leaders, for businessmen. But I think that some of them, you can take self-awareness too far. Because what you do is you say to your kids, you're not good at that. And you hear parents say this all the time. You're in the grocery store and someone asks the kid a question. They go, oh, she doesn't like to talk. Or she's very shy. Please don't ask her questions. Or I'll answer for her. Or she doesn't like to go swimming. Uh. I mean, we put these kids things, but we end up not only putting in our kids' heads, we put in our own heads. So I just said, you know what? And I've always been in a believer in attitude. I've always been a believer in you can do what you set your mind to. And I just said, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to take a different perspective. I'm going to change my mindset. And I decided that I want to opt to, I want to default to happy. Hmm. Most kids default to happy when they're young. Mm-hmm. It's adults. How many adults do you know? And when I ask this in a room of 5,000 people in an audience, I might get three hands raised that default to happy. People default to stressed, to angry, to upset, mm-hmm. to, to nervous, all these different things, but very few default to happy. And I, I can't do it naturally yet. Yeah. But what I do now is I take a moment 
I take a breath and I smile and I say, I don't want to get angry. What am I getting angry for? Because the guy blew the stop sign. Guess what? He didn't hit me. I'm fine. I don't have to rant out my window at him. And I just changed that. So for me, and then I took it beyond to the whole thing with my kids. I learned to change my expectations. If my expectation is I'm going to call up my daughters and they're going to say, hi, daddy, I love you. I'm going to, I'm going to be let down every single time. I mean, I just got, when my daughter went to University of Pennsylvania this year was when she first started hugging me again. Hmm. She, first she wouldn't. Then she'd let me kind of hug her and she'd turn her back on me. Yeah. Now she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't jump in my arms the way she used to, but now if I hug her, she'll let me hug her and she'll face me. And for the, First time on my last visit, I actually felt a hug back. Mm. And to me now, part of it is, you know, it's very hard to continue on a path if you get nothing back. But if you can, if you can recognize baby steps, if you can recognize those small things, and they're hard to recognize sometimes. Mm-hmm. I can recognize an inflection in my daughter's voice. I can recognize the fact that I wrote to her the other day. I'm seeing my older daughter who, who canceled on me twice. And I said to her, I'm having dinner with her April, April 9th. It's a Saturday night. It's the only next. And the last try was a, was a month before that. And she's in Brooklyn. And my younger daughter is in Philly. So I figured maybe I would go to Philly because I have lunch a lot with my younger daughter. And I asked her, Can I, I'm going to have lunch with you on Saturday the 9th. And she said, and then I figured I'd come back and go to Brooklyn. And she said, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. That's all I got, of course. And I, but then I wrote back and said, well, like this far in advance, you know, you're not available on April 9th. I mean, you know, remember these kids don't keep calendars. The way <laughs> right. Right. You know, and she's like, well, yeah, there's a sorority thing all weekend and I ju- I'm just getting in. And, and I said, okay, how about the next weekend? She goes, oh, I can't. That's spring fling and something like that. And the little thing I'm going to tell you, I got back from this was I wrote, okay, the only other time I can do this is Wednesday, April 6th. I can come right from New York after I have a dinner. And she said, okay, that'll work. Hmm. Now to me, now, this is my younger daughter who does see me without the same thing. But the fact that she worked through it for me, that she didn't just text me and walk away, that's yeah. a win. Yeah, That's improvement. And some people might look at it as nothing, but I've learned to find those micro moments. And I always say, you know, moments are what we look for. We look to for those connection moments. They're more important than milestones. Mm-hmm. And now what I've learned with my daughter is, is to look for micro moments. Mm-hmm. And if I can get those... You know, another what my older daughter, when we were talking about, you know, how do I do this? Um, I was talking to my daughter when she transferred to Pratt and she didn't even tell me. I mean, I found that after the fact. And we're sitting there and I said, listen, Danny, I'll support that. You know, and, and it's OK that you didn't come to me because she was looking for me to get angry. She wanted me to get angry and I wouldn't go there. And I said, I think Pratt's a great school for you. I'm really happy for you. But here's the deal. You've got to see me for two meals a semester. She goes, I thought it was only one. I said, that was last year. It wasn't enough. I said, it's got to be two. And she and I said, the other thing is you have to unblock me from text. She has me blocked on text. Mm. This is my older daughter. Yeah. And she said, well, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, I'm not really giving you a choice. And she goes, well, why not? I said, because, Danny, there's going to come a moment where I need you or you need me. And we're going to need to be connected. Yeah. She says, well, you're the last person in the world I'd ever call. And she was expecting me to get angry or heard about this. Mm-hmm. And I, sat, I was sitting across a table with her at Starbucks. And I said, honey, that's fine. Because after you call your mom and your stepdad and your grandfather and your grandmother and everybody tells you it's too late, it's too far, it's too hard, it's too much, you're going to call me. I'm going to say, when do I have to be there and what do you need? Mm-hmm. And I just shut up. And by the way, that's an old sales technique. You make your clothes and you <laughs> shut up. There's a yeah. guy that used to do the sales tape. He'd say, make your clothes and shut up. Right, right. And, and then you just wait. Because
because that silence is incredibly difficult to live through. And she sat there and she stared at me at what felt like 30 minutes. It was probably about 20 seconds. And she nodded her head and she said, okay. Mm-hmm. And she unblocked me. Mm-hmm. So that's a win. Yeah. You does, know, she I, my text? does she answer my text when I text her now? No, but I know I'm up <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I, I sat on the other side of that coin because uh, I came into my oldest daughter's life when she was nine. And her dad was, um, you know, without going into too much on, on him, but just emotionally unavailable, suffice to say. And I've always been the one that was there for her and loved her and, you know, was there for hugs and kisses and stuff. And, and I finally had to get to a point, it probably took me a good six years before I, before I finally stopped having expectation because I would get my feelings hurt. I'm like, come on, come on, look, I, I'm your dad, you know. You have your father, but I'm your dad. I love you as if you're my own. And it took me um, some of my own processing to realize that some of the things I was doing were for me. Right. Not so much for her. And when I turned that corner, when I could finally do the things I was doing with a motivation of her best interest in mind, that's when the game started to change. And to this day, I mean, I don't get it right all the time. But man, you have to be super intentional to keep your own, you know, mindset, like you said, or emotions in check to realize that this isn't about me. And, and as a father, get, that's hard. When you get it right all the time, let me know because I want to move in <laughs> the clock. Because right. you can get it right all the time. That I mean, come on, it's like anything else we do. How I get off the phone with my daughter or I come I'm on the train on my way back from Philly and I'm like, man, I had a better answer, or there yeah. was something else I could have told her. And unfortunately for me, I don't like I will not reach out in between because you know, she doesn't I, I need to wait. Like my I introduced my daughter to someone at Fox and then Mia Voss was kind enough to introduce her to somebody at CNN when she was in Iowa covering the caucuses. She works for the Daily Pennsylvanian at at school. Mm -hmm. And she has not followed up with them. And there could be such a great summer internship in this. But I know that if I try to haunt her from afar, or it's not going to work. i got to wait until I'm having dinner with her on the 6th. And and if she brings friends, that's great. I'll say afterwards, I want to talk to you for a few minutes, you know, just us. Mm -hmm. And that's when I'll address it because that's my moment. But nine times out of ten, I leave and go, oh, my God, I I, could have said it better. I had another thing. So let me know when you get that, you know, 100%. Hey, by the way, I was hustling. At South by Southwest, I was hustling internships for my daughter, trying to get her also into internships. (laughs) So let me ask you this. So um, you also, you travel a lot. And you're on the road most of the year like how do you contend with keeping yourself filled keeping yourself um you know that mindset but also you know growth uh for you like what are some of the things that you do to keep you filled well just before that because you started out on that point about traveling i want to this is a message to some of the dads whose kids are younger because i have some friends like this and i just think they're getting the wrong message when my daughters were younger i never traveled on my time with them and I'm talking about a divorced dad. Yeah. Obviously, it's different when there's family because you have people covering for each other. But I was a divorced dad. Everybody, people that would call me for an event, the first words out of their mouth would be, is it your weekend? Because mm-hmm. they knew if it was my weekend with my daughters, I wasn't coming. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even miss Wednesday night dinner with them. I would travel from the Thursday morning after dinner with them on a Wednesday until the following Wednesday 
because I was off that weekend until I had dinner with them again. And then I was home for the weekend. So I think that's really important. And, and it's one mm -hmm. of the reasons back to also one of your earlier questions, why I'm on such a charge now, because I did give up lots of opportunities and things that I maybe could have done because it was more important for me to be present for them. And even with what I've gone through, there will come a day, God willing, yep. um, when they will remember those times and they will remember, they might not say now they might say, Oh, you weren't there. And mom says you're never around, but that day will come when they're old enough and their brains develop enough where they'll go, you know, dad never missed a weekend and he yeah. was always there. So that's that message there. Back to more of your current question. You know, I find my places, you know, people keep recommending meditation to me. Please stop everybody. I can't do it. Tried it on and off over the years. My mind's just too crazy active and my body and I can't sit still for it. Mm -hmm. But like you've seen me a lot on the beach. I publish a lot from there. I work when I'm there, but it's my place where my mind wanders where I can think, where I, where I come up with it. One of the reasons I work there is because it's where I get my best ideas. Right. It's where my mind tends to, it's my meditation is what I'm saying. And then when I'm on the road, I work out more in gyms when I'm on the road than when I'm home. I rarely go to a gym when I'm home because I keep suffering. I do what I call what you can, when you can, which I adopted from, um, from um, oh, uh, J J uh, Jerry Noon. And, um, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me for forgetting her name, but there's a book called what you can, when you can, the hashtag is W Y C W Y C. So I will do push-ups in between writing blog posts. I've got dip bars. I've got old, I got pull-up bars at the beach in between time of relaxing or working. I'll get up and do push-ups, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what the way I keep myself, you know, feeling that way when I'm on the road before every speaking engagement for every day of work, I go to the gym in the hotel. Mm -hmm. and because it's right there you get on the elevator you go down there's no excuses that it takes you 20 minutes <laughs> right. to get to the gym and you, and you don't even have to change i go like in the shorts i slept in and i jump down in the gym and i do a 20 minute workout i i mean i don't do three hour workouts i do 20 minute workouts you know if i'm running or bike riding it's longer mm -hmm. but i get in there and i get something that's what gives me my head and that and that coffee time you know i drink coffee throughout but i take a moment i get that coffee and I pour it and I watch that beautiful liquid come into that cup and I know it's going to revive me. And that's my moment. I feel you. I totally feel you. <laughs> and by the way, you, you mentioned about me potentially living in Florida. The reason I'm down here is I'm very lucky. My college roommate, we, we celebrate our 40th anniversary from meeting this August. We met in 1976 during my freshman week at Cornell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he has a two-bedroom apartment down here. He had taken care of his parents when they were passing away. My parents were both passed away in the last two years, and I was coming down every three weeks and staying with Bruce and going to see my parents. And when after my mom passed, she went second, which was a year ago, um, he came up to me and said, you know, you don't have to stop coming. This is your place. Hmm. And he, he said he put a little sign on my bedroom. It says Ted's room. And this is this is my room. He put up pictures of my daughters. I came. There were all the pictures of my daughters I'd given over the years. He put all around the room. And now it's become my second home, where I actually intend on relocating to be my full-time home. But it's where I get away to. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, I totally want to uh, ask you one more question. In light of all of this, knowing everything you know now, if you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself to prepare Ted Rubin for his life and career? Oh, boy. Um, I would tell Ted Rubin, number one is I'd lose the anger and the jealousy much earlier on. Um, or, or let me change that. You know, I'm like everybody else. I can be angry. 
and I get jealous, but I've learned to recognize it. I've learned to when I'll say, oh, you know, that guy, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk or Brian Slays, I can't believe they're doing that. And then I look at myself and I go, I'm just jealous. Mm. I mean, they've got a bigger audience than I do. They've got a bigger stage there. They've been able to stay the course on certain things and I've realized. So I'm able to take myself back to that. And if I could give that to myself back when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. or the same thing with anger, like I can say, hey, yeah, I'm angry, but you know what? I'm not going to let that anger affect me and I'm going to let it go because I'd rather just be nice. Yeah. Um, I'd rather be good to people. And, you know, that's the, the one thing I do. And the other thing I do is I'd stop worrying so much about being a success. Mm-hmm. And I think more about what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And that's something else I've learned over time. Unfortunately, you know, we all get to a point in our lives where we have to do something because we have to do it. You know, it's not a matter of, I want to do what I love. Sometimes we can't do what we love. We got to pay the bills. You got to do things. Maybe what you love isn't paying at the moment and you've got to do something else. But I've, le- but I've, I've learned to hold on to those things. And I tell people now what's beautiful about this day and age versus back in the 70s or 80s when I was doing it is that there's no excuses anymore. You can do something you love at night. You can be online doing a podcast. You can connect with people on social media. You don't need that much. Now, granted, remember, I am talking to most people who are at our level of life. And I don't mean, Mm -hmm. but I mean, they come from a place where they can afford a laptop and they can afford a Wi-Fi connection and things like that. And there are parts, unfortunately, of this country and other parts of the world where people can't. So it isn't necessarily for everybody, but for everybody who is in our walk of life, uh, you know, I'd say that. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm going to tell you what my mother told me and I told her she was crazy. Take more advantage of those years in college. Mm. Stop being in such a rush to get out. I always told my mother, yeah, yeah, yeah. She kept saying, I wish you take this more seriously. I wish you realize the opportunity you have. And I will tell you that I didn't the way every kid doesn't. And granted, there are a few exceptions, but most of them don't understand the time in their life that they're in. We all go through that. Mm-hmm. So if I could say to my younger self, I'd say, take advantage of that time. Excellent. Yeah, I was trying to get somebody from one of those internships that was close to my daughter's age and got them on the phone together because she's not going to listen to me. Of course. <laughs> and also, one other thing, don't put off till tomorrow. Right don't on. Don't put off till tomorrow. We all, we all, I'm still doing it now. I'm going to kiteboard. I'm going to learn how to do it next year when I move down here. Why not today? It's right. the thing that we all struggle with. So that's something I'm still learning. Perfect. So, Ted, if people want to get a hold of you, What's the best way they can track oh, I'm easy you down? to get a hold of. I mean, Google Ted Rubin. I'm at Ted Rubin on almost every social platform, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, um, Anchor Now. Um, my phone number is 516-270-5511. You know, call me sometime. I'm sure you won't because everybody's afraid of the phone these days, but it's remarkable the connection it can make. Or email me at tedrubin at gmail.com. Just be respectful of me and my time. That's all I ask. Fantastic. Well, Mr. Ted Rubin, one thing I hope people can take from this is that they can be good to people. And really, when it comes down to it, it's about no letting up. Right. And just remember one last thing to take away with you. Relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ted. Thank you, man. I really want to thank Ted uh, Rubin for being on the show and being so transparent and sharing his experience and his story. My hope is that you in some way find your story in his. 
Um, as we come into uh, a close, before I let you go, I wanted to share a little nugget with you about kind of this area of life transformation when Ted was talking about letting go of his anger. And he was getting past a lot of the things that were holding him back. And he had this gathering of friends who <laughs> kind of helped him uh, build this website that was never to be. I am fascinated by that part of the story, that his friends would help him brainstorm and put time and effort and energy into developing something that they knew was part of him processing um, his emotional pain. I hope that you find healthy and constructive ways to deal with some of the things in your life, whether that be anger, whether that be pain, whether that be even anxiety or stress. There are people who will help you from a place of love. And if you don't have people like that in your corner, those are the kind of people I want to encourage you to seek. And second of all, I also want you to maybe observe yourself almost in third person to see that sometimes the things that we are experiencing in that moment are not necessarily all that's going on. It is so hard to fight emotion. Feelings are powerful. And so I never want to negate that. But what I do want to encourage you is sometimes we need to reframe the why we're angry, the why we're frustrated, the why we're enduring the pain that we're enduring. And many times you'll find that some of the elements that are most painful to us are self-inflicted that we have um, unrealistic expectations or we have placed upon somebody else some responsibility they don't deserve or we've had some kind of um, judgment we've placed on someone's actions or words that are inaccurate, that are not quite where we need to be in how we address the world and address the people around us. It's not fair. And our judgments, our personal offenses our unrealistic expectations, those things cause us a lot more trouble than we recognize. And so I want to encourage you, take some time to be objective about the pain that you're enduring. And furthermore, I also want to encourage you in this, that if you're experiencing some times of of, um, maybe a dark period or or frustration, um, know that this is temporary and that you're not alone. And anyone who knows my story, and if you haven't heard my story, I I recommend you go back to episode 000 and hear more about um, some of the things that I myself went through. Um, Because, again, I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to feel pain. And the whole reason why I got into this was because I wanted to help others find uh, a guiding light and to know that they're not alone. And here's the last piece I'm going to share with you. In order for us to take on something new, a habit, an attitude, a perspective, an opportunity, it is as if we clinch our hand to hang on to what we've always known because we know what to expect. But whenever we have opportunity for something new, many times that can seem scary. And so you cannot move forward trying to grasp something new if your hand is clenched holding on to something old. And I just shared this metaphor um, not so long ago on a live broadcast on Facebook. 
And I said and encouraged people that first you have to let go. Let go of what you know. Let go of what you feel. Let go of the things that you are allowing to hold you back from then grasping something new. That's my encouragement for you today. I'm really, really glad you took the time to stay uh, and listen to this. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Um, Again, if you get an opportunity, jump onto iTunes and drop a little note there uh, about a review, and I'd really appreciate that. In addition, if you want to be a part of our Up In Your Business private group on Facebook, you can do that. Just go into the search bar in Up In Your Business. Uh, You can type that into the Facebook uh, search. You'll find the Up In Your Business group. Request to come in. I'll get you in there, and uh, we'll grow from there. In addition, you can go to the website to find out any of the references that Ted made today about the books and several other things he mentioned I tried to capture all that into our show notes. You can go to angusnelson.com and you can find all of that there. In addition, other resources that will be coming down the pike coming soon. Again, thank you so much for everyone that's been here. I hope you have an incredible day. Um, May you uh, live your life with great intention, love people with great affection, and be amazing. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com.